Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Planet Tyrell for our Woody Allen retrospective. I'm your host, Donald Wonder, and I'm joined once again with my master co-host in disguise, Simon Red. Buenos dias. <laughs> guys, I want to say thank you to all the people listening on the podcast. We love you guys. We're getting a lot of podcast love, not more so much love on the YouTube channel. You guys on YouTube, you're not giving us those likes that you used to, guys. Leave a comment if you're listening to this on YouTube, but you podcast guys, listening to it on Stitch Radio, all that stuff, we love you. If you were here last time, you probably saw us talk about the movie where Woody Allen did a bit of a heel turn in his filmography and tried to do something different. We're talking about that film called Interiors. If you look on the screen, there's going to be a card so you can go back to that video on YouTube. If you're not on YouTube and listen to my favourite your my favorite podcast people listening, there'll be a link in the description to listen to all our previous recordings for Woody Allen and all of our recordings moving forward, guys. Because guess what? This is a Woody Allen retrospective. We're talking about all the Woody Allen movies. And to highlight that, we've got a hashtag you can check on Google to find all our recordings. Just put hashtag Woody Allen Retro in Google. Again, you know we're already on the podcast. You know we're already on YouTube. We're everywhere. We're doing this for so long. Before we get into this next discussion, guys, this is a spoiler talk. We're going to spoil the movie. You know what movie's next. If you haven't seen the movie, go and watch it and come back. If you've seen the movie and you don't care, stay tuned. We're going to talk about one of the most, well, Let's say his second, Woody Allen's second most popular, most acclaimed movie of all time. And Simon, can you tell me what that movie is going to be? Oh, yeah. This is Manhattan, the signature piece by Woody Allen's, you know, kind of like a trilogy of home runs. Everybody loved uh, Annie Hall and Interiors was extremely successful as well, especially with critics, even if not at the box office. And this is like his first really, really, really outstanding piece of work released in uh is it 1979 just since any hall oh you want to just cut out interiors altogether you just pretend that movie don't exist well to be honest with you a, a lot no, a lot of people want to do that but here's the thing when Annie hall came out even interiors it was still being drowned out by Annie hall people were re-watching Annie hall so the funny thing is when this movie came out people just kind of skipped over interiors anyway and just moved from Annie hall to this and it was it was it yeah was it's, it's true in terms of audiences definitely in, in terms of audiences definitely and also again this movie stars Woody Allen so I think for a lot of people this is more of a Woody Allen movie than Interiors I think some people don't even know that movie is directed by Woody Allen yeah. necessarily why would they know that it's such a different tone yeah exactly well we're back to form as the title suggests, we're in New York. It's not Manhattan, you know, Afghanistan, but it's, you know, Manhattan, New York. And Woody Allen and Diane Keaton resume uh, another on-screen romance in this movie. To give you just a quick summary, it's, uh, it's, it's a bit of a retract, but in a more artistic and intelligent way. Woody plays Isaac, who's down on his log, going through a divorce, discovering, you know, the weight of his own mortality and thinking about how life goes forward while also being in this questionable relationship with a much younger girl. So his friend introduces him to actually a, a lady he's been seeing uh, <laughs> on the side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah of course. Sort of having a, a, a lukewarm affair. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it lukewarm. I'd call it a very hot affair actually. Yeah. No, <laughs> well, maybe in his mind. But anyway, needless to say, that's Diane Keaton's character, Mary. And at first, they don't really like each other. But then uh, a strong bond forms. And the movie basically explores, uh, 
I think in a in a more harsh tone the flaws of human nature and the flaws of relationships and how we treat each other yeah how we betray each other go behind each other's back and ultimately what sets this film apart from Woody Allen's previous work is that it's very self-reflecting in a way that his previous influences and concepts and ideas and tropes are actively questioned in the movie mostly through Diane Keaton's character who straight up starts roasting all his idols and filmmaking influences and artists he looks up to in the scene she's introduced in and then at the end of the day his character really has to answer for all his bad decisions in this movie at one point or another yeah so it's more of a a mature Woody Allen movie it's got a natural conclusion and follow-up to everything that came before it I agree and funny enough I would even say although I agree with you for the most part with the story this movie is a celebration of Woody Allen's cinematography especially his love for the city of Manhattan New York and the music as well to me not taking anything away from the story but I just felt like the story plays second fiddle to the cinematography and the music which Woody Allen has said himself the inspiration for this movie was the music itself. The, when he heard the music, and I'm going to get the composer's name in a minute. When he heard the music, he wanted to wrap a story around this music as a theme. And also, he always wanted to make a black and white movie from even when he made his very, very first movie, Take the Money and Run. And now, those ideas just married really well. And I can, I agree with you, everything you said that this time, although we're retreading similar ground with these this kind of romance with Woody Allen's character again being divorced twice again just like Annie Hall again getting together with Diane Keaton but this time as you said he puts a spin on it where these characters are very flawed and on top of that he's in a very questionable relationship and uh well let me let's talk about some of the aesthetic things first so the cinematography sure I mean um, it's good that you brought it up because um sorry to butt in but basically This is his first collaboration with Gordon Willis, and I really wanted to bring this up because we didn't, we didn't, there was, it wasn't necessary to go into this with the previous two films. But for those of you who don't know, Gordon Willis did the cinematography for The Godfather. So when you talk about 70s, he's definitely one of the top players. And when you look at Woody Allen's evolution as a filmmaker, starting from any hall, you can really see his growth. And when he did this movie and finally realized his dream to make a black and white film, you can really see how much of a mastery he has gotten with his own style. This movie is very stylish. One of the first things anybody who saw the film will, will point out is the beautiful cinematography. Much credit to Gordon Willis, but also for Woody Allen for being very, very innovative, using a lot of clever tricks. Uh, you know, every scene is a treat in this film. It, it, it's a very, it's just very, very pleasing to the eye. It is, and the composer, which I forgot to mention, is George. Gershwin he's a composer for well Woody Allen was inspired by George Gershwin to make this movie and even George Gershwin and Woody Allen have a soundtrack for this movie this is one of like through Woody Allen's filmography he's only got like seven original soundtracks for his movies I don't think he really felt it was necessary and one of the things I want to talk about is when the movie opens it opens with a George Gershwin song I believe it's called um, Blue something I'll put it on the screen but it's a very great opening sure it doesn't have for the, I think this is one of the only times it doesn't have Woody Allen's staple title card at all. It has obviously has the name of the movie, and then it just has Woody Allen narrating over 
Manhattan with a lot of shots. Again, it, it seems like a love letter to the city. It's done really well. It looks really beautiful. Again, the, the, I mean, talking about acting as well, the act, I mean, the cast, Woody Allen, Diane Keaton, again, how many times do we have to praise Diane Keaton? Diane Keaton's great in the movie. As you said before, she does play a, a, one of the most crucial characters. But one thing I like about this movie, I have to say about the whole cast, is although they are very flawed, I didn't feel like, except for one person, that they were very dubious. Like, everyone was very honest, especially Woody Allen. Woody Allen, I want to get to his young girlfriend because that's a big elephant in the room for other reasons. <laughs> but Woody Allen's very honest. All through the movie, honestly, I found him to be slightly honourable because most of the things he was doing he had a reason for doing it and he was honestly I thought hey you know some of the other movies is very shysty and he just wants women or he's just very manipulative but this time he's very honest and an example of that is even when he started to fall for Diane Keaton he purposefully stays away from her there's a scene in particular where she's really coming on to him like you know can I see you and he's like no it's not a good idea because you know he knows his friends mess with that and then later when his friend kind of pushes him into that and what happens later so and even with Woody Allen and the young girl which we'll get into a bit as well he knew that was a bad idea he kept on saying it throughout I liked him uh, Diane Keaton conflicted in what she was doing again I liked the way the story was written to explain that the cheating husband who's Woody Allen's best friend as well he's a piece of shit but at least yeah yeah, Yale. <laughs> you didn't like Yale. You're, no, you're no. not on Team Yale. Nah, he's not. He's not likable. He really Yale, isn't. Then. You know. But he's honest. Uh, and you know, it's a small cast. This is a small cast. I know the city itself is a cast as well. And I'll let you speak on this. The cast is fantastic. But at this point, I mean, Woody Allen casting is like a no-brainer. He always hits it out of the park with casting. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, most definitely. And, and it's very interesting, you know, that you nailed it when you said honesty. I think this movie is a merit of beautiful artistry but also very honest screenplay because you got to give it to woody allen like his last two films were critically acclaimed won a bunch of awards including academy awards but he didn't even show up for the ceremony because it's in it's in his uh, nature he, he doesn't like award shows he doesn't believe in them doesn't think they really mean anything he sees through the the showmanship and that it's more of an entertainment show than you know a, a real accomplishment mm. so when he does a very artistic movie like this you know it comes from a genuine place it doesn't come from trying to win an award or do something especially for the critics or do a critically acclaimed movie if you've been a crowd pleaser f- for the rest of your career now you now you're gonna do something for the critics something that will do well at the oscars you know that's not his motivation at all so if you couple that with his honest writing you just get a a very genuine film you can tell the person that made this film loves the city and lived in the city for most of his life that that's why everything's so intimate all right so uh, what i want to do simon i want to address the elephant in the room right now which is woody allen and this young girl he's in a relationship with now okay so the 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 overflow of honesty (laughs) you know we talk talk about an honest movie a little bit too honest right well here's the thing because i want to look at this from two perspectives now first of all there's no way i can not see this in the light of what happens to woody allen in his personal life down the line it's very hard especially since having such a young love in this movie it's a very interesting story idea 
But again, because Woody Allen has a very controversial issue in this stuff later on, you look at it in a, a bit of a different light. What I will say... To specify, when you say young, you mean underage. Yes, but in different states, different countries, underage is different. So in this movie... Uh, Tracy, the the young girl from Woody Allen, is 17 at the time. And I think in real life, she was actually 17 as well, which is ironic. And um, the actress playing her is Ernest Hemingway, the famous writer, Ernest Hemingway's granddaughter, which I believe was called, is it? Um, Marielle. I think it's pronounced Marielle or Marielle. You're right. Sounds kind of French, but Mary, Marielle. Speaking about the actress at first, when I first saw her in the movie, I thought she played it a bit too subdued. I thought, is she really acting or is she very timid? But as the movie went on, I just found it. No, it's her character. She's a, a little bit like a a timid, softy kind of character that becomes very lovable. And there's a, a particular scene where Woody Allen lets her down and she really breaks down, which was, was really quite emotional. I thought, no, she's, she's a really good actress. Now, getting back to the point I was making about yeah. Woody Allen and the young girl thing, some of my favourite movies of all time and some of the most celebrated movies of all time have got to do with age difference relationships. To name a few, and I've said this before, because I know this is the most one of the most controversial movies ever made, Lolita. Lolita is a movie about a man who's has, you know, very dark thoughts about an underage girl, even has sex with her, especially in the remake with Jeremy Irons that was made in the early 90s. Other movies, like Lost in Translation, like... Um, uh, what's that movie with uh, the black movie? <laughs> I still have got a groove back. <laughs> I mean, this is a theme that people will revisit. More more <laughs> recently, in 2012, there was a movie called Liberal Arts, which is a really good movie about a, a professor who dates a student and he just can't get over the age difference. You know what? which one I like the most? Which one? I like American Beauty. <laughs> and that resolves it the proper way at the end as well, where he's like, you know, what the fuck am I doing? You know, that that's not what I needed. I needed my balls back. Well, here's the thing. I think in this movie, Woody Allen's going through a little bit of a midlife crisis. And I have to I have to say, to give props to the story as well, he's divorced twice. He's got a son. One of the only times, by the way, Woody Allen have, has, has, ever has a child in any of his movies. And his wife is in a oh, yeah. lesbian relationship, which again, for the time, is a bit progressive. Who's played by Meryl Streep, so... There you go. I was about to bring it up that uh, a, little, a little bit of a treat for you. For everybody is a this is an early Meryl Streep movie who acts very differently from how, how we used to seeing her as a more seasoned actress this is a, a very early Meryl Streep performance which kind of has its own merit it does and, and I don't know beautiful. what it is but yeah keep taking the words out of my mouth but yeah <laughs> the, the black and white the black and white really works for her you know it yeah. really does she is I was surprised how gorgeous she looks and uh well I was going to say she hasn't aged well but that's just that's just personal opinion. Anyway, that's, yeah, that's that, besides that, the point. That's just a fuck you for you. That's yeah, just like, no, no. Besides the point, she's a fantastic actress. It was great to see her. This was, I believe, her third acting role. And actually, she was actually filming Kramer versus Kramer at the time of this movie as well, which I believe won an Oscar of Dustin Hoffman. So, boy, I mean, Woody Allen got the talent in early, way before there were names. And my point was, it was progressive. Woody Allen is going through midlife crisis. And I feel like he keeps on saying in this movie that, oh, why am I dating her? It's wrong. And what am I doing? And he's even saying to her, find someone new. It's like, I felt like, okay, it's kind of funny in the narrative that he's a man that's going through a bit of divorce. His wife is writing some really revealing book about him and he's and he just wants a break. He wants something young and innocent. So he's purposefully dating this girl 
I wouldn't even say to use her, but he just wants a relief from all the stress of dating someone and all this shit. And to be honest with you, the way the movie ends only enforces that notion that I can't deal with, you know, there's so much chaos and chaos for people my age. Maybe I need something new, something fresh. I couldn't help but think, was is this a, you know, a mirror to his real life? Is this what happened? Did he need a break from his intense relationship? It's hard not to think about these things. But like I said, I want to kind of separate me judging Woody in that way from the movie because I think an age difference in the narrative is an interesting story point. And in the movie, it plays fine. It plays really well. The relationship he has between Woody and his character and Tracy, it's, it's, you know, it's nice, it's bittersweet, and it has a very memorable, very memorable and very optimistic ending. I know people looking at this movie now, especially in the reviews I read, see this movie in a bit of a different light considering what happened to Woody Allen. That's why I kind of have to bring it up. But if I'm looking at this as a movie sure. and what he did with the idea, I think it's perfectly fine and just added another layer to the complexity of relationships that he was using as a story method in this overall movie. And it's all just being part of honest storytelling and presenting New York, especially at the time, from a very honest perspective. I mean, one of the big things people had to deal with in relationships and men had to deal with is a lot of these, how should I put this, androgynous women or more manly women. If you look at Diane Keaton's dress code in this movie as well, she's dressed very manly, lots of jeans, lots of uh, sweaters, you know, jackets, not a whole lot of dresses. So you have these stronger, independent women to a certain extent. Even if they do, do make mistakes in relationships, they're more outspoken, they're more experienced sexually. I mean, Diane Keenan's character, one of the big things with her is that she always goes for these, these bad relationship choices and then tries to mold the guy into what she would like. But immediately she talks about how one of the most signature figures in her life was her college professor, who was an older guy she dated. And what a big impression that person and that relationship left on her. So for men to kind of want to take a step back and find somebody who's a, a little bit more inexperienced and innocent and therefore easy comes with less baggage was a common theme back in the day i don't necessarily agree with it but you can see a guy who just turned 40 or in his 40s early 40s and went through a divorce wanting to like you said break away and find somebody who's just an easier relationship even and that comes with probably dating a younger person he goes a little bit too young yeah but it's all part it's all part of what was going on at the time. And another signature theme of this love letter to Manhattan is Woody's concern for the culture. I think that's one of the, if you want to talk about how much this relates to his personal life or his personal thoughts, I think him feeling like culture's taking a, a hit and, and kind of things falling off going into the 80s. The movie's made in 79, released in 79. Not only in retrospect, he had a very good point and he kind of saw what was going to happen in the 80s. Yeah. But it probably was very important to him to point that out. He keeps one of his favorite shticks is nagging about television. In the movie, he's a writer for TV and he basically quits his job because he says, This is garbage. Putting a laugh track under a sitcom, telling people when to laugh because the material isn't funny enough to bring organic laughs out is stupid. He doesn't agree with it. And I think him breaking away and making a black and white, more artistic, honest movie 
is kind of the cinematic equivalent of what his character does in the film. Basically quitting and doing something else. Hey, the movie before, he changed it up by doing the drama. Now, again, I like, you know, just speaking outside this movie for a minute, I like Woody Allen always challenging himself. It's like you said, as a just as a person, Woody just seems to love movie making and just come with different ideas. In the next movie, again, changes direction, does something different. A bit of trivia about this movie as well. To make this movie in black and white at the time was a bit of a headache. I believe he had to even create like a, a little mini black and white studio himself because to do it on oh, yeah. black, black and white film was actually too difficult. And he used that to do future, I think his next couple of movies are black and white as well, next four, just because he spent so much money. And it came out as a great style. If I didn't mention this before, this movie was shot in CinemaScope. This was only one of the only two movies, even yeah, throughout all 2000s, even though we moved to HD, in this aspect ratio, this movie, and I believe anything else with Christiana Ricci and uh, the guy from American Pie, we'll get to it later, way later, but that was another movie shot in widescreen. It looks beautiful, and it, his fans have died from to do it again because you get them wide, sweeping shots. And there's a, a special contract to this movie as well that even on video and on TV, it has to be shown in widescreen. It's in the contract. So when you buy on home video, it comes with black, <laughs> it comes with black bars. He actually put this stipulation in. So whenever you see this movie, unless you obviously manipulate the screen yourself, it's going to be in widescreen the way it was shot, which is fantastic. He's a purist in that way. And, you know, this movie, it's weird because I see this movie as, a, it's a, like a mix between, it's not a conventional story for me because when I was watching the movie, I was enjoying the cinematography so much. And because the relationships were so intertwined, Woody Allen seeing a young girl, then his friend's having an affair with someone else, Woody Allen's kind of interested in her, then his friend kind of gets him to date her, then his friend takes her back. It's so... It's like, this is such a... It's kind of disturbing how they're all kind of fucking each other, especially, but I, I know that's the point. that You know, funny, the only thing I didn't like about the movie, which the movie addresses, is by the very, very end where Woody's friend kind of backstabs him. It was kind of... Um, I don't really find this a comedy, and especially that turn, I thought was really fucked up. I thought his friend was really, really fucked up. And I really wanted... I really... This was the first time I was like, okay, Woody, I know you're a clown. I know you don't fight, but this guy deserves a punch in the face. But, and the funny thing was, the guy was like, you know, get angry. I was ready to get angry. Let's hurry. And he's like, I can't get angry. I just grow a tumour. <laughs> And it was, a, <laughs> it was a great line because I was like, this isn't really listening to me. Like, no one, you can't do something like to someone. Like, he was in love with Diane Keaton. They were in a relationship and he screwed him over. He called her, was, you know, baiting Diane Keaton and then Diane Keaton opened the door again. Hey, it always takes two. It always it takes No, I don't, I, of course. But, but Diane Keaton did say to him and she said this in the movie, I told you I was no good. I and she was, you said this yourself. She always makes bad decisions. So that's why, that's why even Woody couldn't be that upset with her. That's why even he was like, you are fucked yeah. up. You know, you are fucked up. And my friend's even more fucked up. So <laughs> even the guy, you know. Man, you really don't like Yale. No, not really. He's a piece of shit. And the funny thing is, his wife, Yale's wife, blames Woody Allen. At the end, she's like, you know what? I wish you never introduced her to him. <laughs> and when he looked at her like, you don't even know. His wife never found out that they had that long standing affair. Yeah, I, I think a piece of his heart broke off. When, when the line here, that was some good acting from Woody Allen because he has no dialogue, it's just all on his face. Yeah, and he's like, What the fuck? I'm yeah. the bad guy too, and I lost. 
Well, that's kind of everything, you know, coming back. Uh, that's one of the big things about the film. It's karma. You know, everybody gets what they kind of, I don't want to say deserve, but what they, they signed up for. You know, Woody Allen had a decent relationship with this young girl then traded it in for Diane Keaton, who was already a mistress of for his best friend. And he didn't mind that. So when that came around and stabbed him in the back, he couldn't really be angry. And then the wife, they, you know, Dennis, Yale's wife, blaming him for their divorce. You know, that's kind of an ironic twist again, but yeah. a, a deserved one. Because technically, him and Yale talked many, many many times throughout the film how sure. this is not the first time Yale cheated sure. and he was just keeping it on the down low and they're friends you know they're, it's not like you have a friend and your friend has a, a wife slash girlfriend you know it's like you have a friend and then that person's relationship or spouse is also your friend and as somebody who's been in that position yeah you you, you kind of need to it's bros before host to a certain point and then you just have to come clean or else you're going to be the guy who gets the blame. And I definitely had that before where I was like, you're blaming me? He's yeah. cheating on you. What do I have to do with it? So yeah, yeah. I, can, I can more than relate. You know, actually, I never thought about that. This movie is really good like that. Yeah. I never related to it. It's a really a good level, movie. Yeah. Yeah. For a different reason. Like, the more I think about that, wow, this movie, and I know, you know, this is another movie where Woody Allen was ahead of the time because we see a lot of movies now that have these complex relationships but this again the lesbian relationship the young the very young girl Woody Allen wasn't doing this at this time he wasn't how he, this affair came 15 years later <laughs> so no, 10, 10 years later after this movie so but yeah look man there's no need for me to go on this movie is already critically loved again watched it with new eyes it's really fantastic movie wonderfully shot Honestly, I don't know why I don't own this movie on, on Blu-ray because the black and white lens of the cinematography, this is a movie that has been, obviously, people have tried to copy this movie. Cinematography-wise, the relationship-wise, it's an iconic movie and how could I, I nearly forgot, this movie has a shot that's an iconic piece of movie 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 history. It's a shot where he's sitting on the bench with Diane Keaton looking at the bridge. Just that shot alone, I'll even put it on the screen oh, yeah. on YouTube, that shot alone is a piece of Hollywood legend. It's just, it just, it's a beautiful shot. They, they had to bring the, they had to bring the bench there themselves, though. That bench is actually not there. <laughs> but there's a lot of people you can see on YouTube. There's even, <laughs> there's even clips on YouTube where you can see people trying to recreate that little scene because it's really beautiful. And um, what else can I say about the movie? There's, I know I'm forgetting something, but we can go on forever. Uh, my favorite quote of the movie, and actually, what I will say, Diane Keaton. Drops about five f bombs in this movie. There's one point in particular where she says Woody Allen's kind of berating her, and he's like, "If you don't like me, then just fuck off. <laughs> if you don't like what I'm to say, then just fuck off." It, I'm not saying it for baiting, but she literally tells to fuck off, and Woody Allen's like, "Oh, that's a that's a nice demeanor you got there. Nice little little attitude." So, uh, my line in the movie is it's actually the scene where Woody Allen and Diane Keaton are in the planetarium, and they're going back and forth. Maybe, maybe I'll edit the clip in here because it's a long back and forth. I love it. There was a lot of lines. It's actually hard for me to pick a line, but uh, but honestly, this this movie is really great. It was nominated for two Academy Awards, <laughs> of course. You know, plenty of other awards: Golden Globes, Baftas. Da 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 da. It's a little bit surprising considering you know, I think overall this is his most balanced art film up until the stage. 
if you think about it, what baits the Academy usually. So this getting less nominations than the last two is actually a bit of a surprise for me. But hey, ultimately, he doesn't care. I just think this is a little bit more straightforward than his other movies. That's why people are like, oh, it's, it's, it, and he, he said he wanted it to be as straightforward as possible. No Annie Hall flashback, cutaways, dream sequences. He wanted to make a black and white movie with music, but just make the relations a bit more complex. So again, coming off Annie Hall, people were kind of like, eh, you know, not Annie Hall, but you know, again, we said this in the beginning, still one of his, probably his second most beloved movie. And I have to ask you, because everyone does this, so I have to ask you, because everyone compares this to Annie Hall. It's like, out of the sure. two, which one do you think is better? I will go first, just so I don't, anyone think I'm covering in your mind. I always thought I liked this better Annie Hall, but it's hard to compare. I think Annie Hall does a lot more in comparison in so many ways. I think this is a better straightforward movie, but Annie Hall is a very special movie, very unique movie that marries so many things together. They're the two top... I will say they are top three, top five movies, definitely, but I still think Annie Hall is, is better than this. But again, I don't think it's really fair to compare the two, but again, for argument's sake, that's my opinion. Well, Interiors is the greatest film ever created according to the New York Times. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I was going to leave you the whole thing. I'm I thought kidding, you could remember what they said. I was going to leave you the whole thing. <laughs> no, no, I, I was going to cut it short. Nah, man. I, I'm keeping this review straightforward. Um, to be honest with you, you pointed out two different things. Comparing apples to oranges, if I got to pick on enjoyment factor, I think I get more out of any hall. But mostly it's because that movie was a lot of things and they threw half of it out. And ended up with a masterpiece, sort of by accident, that runs, you know, at 90 minutes, so it's shorter, more easy to digest. One of the big shocks rewatching the film, now that I, I have seen everything that came before it, was I thought it's going to be refreshing having a more straightforward Woody Allen, more of a, the witty, clever Woody Allen that that doesn't, you know, do a lot of physical humor. But actually halfway through i was like i kind of miss it you know something to spice of the film a little bit you know just to speed things up but that's also part of me watching the film for many times beforehand you know like this is not my first viewing by any stretch of the imagination yeah but very well-made film beautiful cinematography at this point i would just retract again gordon willis one of the best of his times one of his biggest tricks was uh shooting in the dark using natural light or minimalistic light if you yeah. think of the godfather that opening sequence so shooting a dark black and white film with lots of night scenes out in the city including that iconic shot i mean just great picks by woody allen at this point he is a genuinely great director you know really 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 good from all aspects writing cinematography score story just everything and looking at where he started off with the goofy movies that are special in their own way but leading up to this it just makes it seem an even bigger accomplishment all the way down to the smart clever things of incorporating the title with the opening montage of new york where it's an actual sign that says manhattan yeah instead of a title card I mean, it's just it's just consistency. There's a lot of small bits like that that create intimacy 
familiarize yourself with the film. It, it really defines his style moving forward. I think a lot of other films that come after this, you can see similar elements. Just like thinking of something that comes much later. Midnight in Paris opens up with a montage of Paris, and it's done in a very similar style. With Correct. A similar beat, beat to the editing, similar scoring in the background. So, yeah, this is these three films, I would say, is where Woody Allen really found himself. And this is his signature honest piece because it's about New York and his love for New York and his fears of what's going to happen to the culture in New York. And he was right. And what do you know? <laughs> yeah, and exactly. He was right. So there you yeah. go. If, if you're a nostalgia junkie, somebody who's like obsessed with the past or is just bitter and disappointed, well, I got a movie for you. Yeah. I, you know what? I'm, I'm actually gonna. As soon as we, I know I'm saying this is gonna sound really fanboyish. I'm gonna buy the Blu-ray since we're finished because it's a, it's a visual you know what? marvel. A four, a four K UHD of this is probably worth it. Just on the widescreen, if you think about it, a four K widescreen and UHD. I'm, I, I usually don't care about that because I like the organic feel, feel of a film. Sometimes I even like watching some stuff on, on VHS, preferably, just because it like old horror movies or something like that. But if they do it right, this could be one of the must-owns because it's just so good and so special. I definitely agree with you there. It's ironic you brought up Midnight in Paris because actually people have said this was his best cinematography, not, not a word, obviously, but this is the best shot film he did yeah, since, yeah, exactly. <laughs> since, yeah, I know, since Midnight in Paris. That movie looks absolutely gorgeous as well. But you know what? I might have to take something I said back my favorite quote of this movie is actually not in the movie. It's something Woody Allen said. This is this is actually the funniest fact of the movie, and it's not the first time Woody Allen said this. By the way, after the movie was shot completely, Woody Allen watched the movie. He hated it. He actually hated the movie, <laughs> and he begged United Artists not to to film it. He begged it, and he actually had a quote which I mean not I, to release it, not to release it. Sorry, and. He actually has a quote that is so great. It's so deprecating. And obviously, he was wrong. This isn't the first time. It was not movies. He's, he pulled the same stunt, by the way. United Artists now pushed him. And obviously, he's glad now. But he said that if this is the best I can do right now, I should do movies for free. I should make United, United Artists movies for free if this is the best I can do. Wow. And I heard he was very hard on himself through the script of this movie. And it's funny because I can understand, obviously, on the on the tiniest of scales. Let me say that right now. On the tiniest of scales, I can understand making a video, just making something, and looking at it thinking, "What the fuck did I just make? This is garbage." Oh yeah, that that that's creators. That's creators' guilt all yeah. over. I mean, even just listening to yourself or watching yourself perform, I definitely had that before. Where you just see the flaws and you're like, "Man, I wish I would have done this." And why did I? Why didn't I do that? Like, even now, I'm going to be like, why are you mumbling so much? Stop rambling. You know, yeah. just get your thoughts out. Yeah. It's it's amazing. So Stop saying you know so much. <laughs> you, you know. You 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 know. You, you, you know. But anyway, guys. I know that you know that I know that, that you, you know. know. That you know. I know that you're wrong. But I'm still right. Of course. As always, Simon. You are king shit. <laughs> Fuck mountain. As you said before. Guys, the IMDb scores, Rotten Tomato scores, again, Woody Allen's second high, highest rating movie in the high eights. Again, it wasn't as highly praised as Annie Hall, but again, this is a favor, a mass favor. And lastly, as always, guys, especially with this movie in particular, 
I have to give a massive shout out to the Woody Allen Pages Watchers Guide. There's so much things we didn't cover, so much trivia, so much behind the scenes things. I haven't, I haven't even read all of it myself. Guys, there's a link in the description. Get this book right now because it's it's the cup, it's the cost of a Starbucks coffee, an ebook on Amazon. If you're a Woody Allen fan, this is a must-have. Fantastic details for a fantastic movie. It was a fantastic watch. And I will say, man, after this movie, we're kind of getting into the zone where the audiences kind of fell off of Woody Allen for an, a number of reasons. We'll have a little talk about that after we see the next movie because I think when we see the next movie and we do a little research, we'll, we'll kind of go into why. But I just want to say, for the record, I know from this point on, a lot of people haven't watched the movies, the masses that we're about to talk about. And this is where I really feel like I'm going to, you know, take off my gloves and really dig into Woody Allen because from here on is where we really get into the retrospective and the shit that people really need to see what's good and what's bad. Oh, here we go. Yeah, this is where it gets interesting. Yeah, it really does, guys. So stay tuned, guys. If you've been following us on the podcast, YouTube, whatever, thank you so much. Give us a like. Leave a comment on the iTunes rank. Subscribe to the channel on Planet Tyro. I want to, as always, give a thanks to my partner in crime, Simon Red, for joining me on this one. Well, enjoy why it lasts. <laughs> you ain't going nowhere. It's not saying that. Guys, if you're on YouTube, you can see the annotations on the screen. Click those annotations. We don't do just Woody Allen on Planet Tyro, but, you know, most of you guys listening right now are here for just that. Either way, we do other stuff. Check it out. Links in the description. And uh, we'll leave it at that, guys. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you on the next one. Have a good one.